This is a trigger warning from the legal department. Just reminding you that this shit is pretty heavy. And that's okay. Take a deep breath. Don't forget to hydrate. Wash your fucking hands. Good afternoon, or morning, or evening, or middle of the night, like whatever. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline. I am beyond honored and excited to drop this episode, this conversation with a mentor of mine, a man who needs no introduction. This is a conversation with with Andy Paul, the Andy Paul, the great Andy Paul from the Sales Enablement podcast, also has tons of books. I would be shocked if anyone is surprised or is first hearing of this, this beautiful, wonderful, amazing human being that is Andy Paul. But anyway, this conversation, friends, is like a little window into the banter behind the scenes like pinky and the brain style and just just to be very clear i'm i'm the pinky of this this analogy (sighs) anyway the show notes are super comprehensive if you're curious about what the actual conversation is about it's all articulated for everyone however we don't hold back and yeah that's all I have to say about that. So everyone, I am Amy Rehubchuk. This is the Revenue Real Hotline. And of course, if you find any value in things that we're discussing, do tell a friend. I take that as the highest compliment. All thoughts welcome. If you leave the thoughts via the, the hotmail or actually the voicemail line at 646-470-0248, there is an excellent chance those thoughts will We'll get on the show. That again is 646-470-0248. All right, friends. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Okay, so Andy Paul, as I just said, I am so excited. I'm excited too. Have you listened to any of the episodes? Do you know what you've gotten yourself involved in? I've not had the opportunity yet, but... Uh... No, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's even better. I like the unexpected. Yeah, isn't that so true? It's something, uh, at least for me, one of my favorite things that I had to unlearn about after selling, or like you know, we could we could categorize it as relearn how to be human, um, and that is to not spend so much time preparing really for meetings with someone that I, any kind of meeting really. What and so <laughs> it, it's. I like it. Just roll the dice and, and do away with whatever kind of opinions or thoughts we had. Okay. Yes. Blah, blah, blah. So the the framework of the show, I do a little intro at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I, you know what? I can't really envision a universe where where the great Andy Paul is an unknown name. So we'll <laughs> we'll just we'll go with that. Well, I don't know. I, I said I, I, I swim in a very small pond. So uh, <laughs> 
most of the world doesn't know who I am. I don't know. I just found out you keynoted at DLA's uh, partner retreat. So, you know, you certainly overlapped in, in, the, in that world too. Okay. But anyway, so the theme of the show is conversations about uncomfortable conversations in sales, of which okay. I'm sure we have plenty to choose from. Oh, yeah. I've, I've written down a few, which I, uh, I'm not going to share, but I will I'll probably be referring to the list, but I'll give you a hint, starting with like relationships. That's, that's mm-hmm. the starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, the, what else? Oh, my target listener is the experienced tech seller. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, and as you promote and share and educate me, that not only are we heavy at, with how-to content for those starting out in the profession, uh, we also tend to migrate hard towards prospecting. As <laughs> yes, <laughs> so this show is is like the opposite of that, or at least that's that's the aspiration. So we'll, we'll to be determined. All right, so Andy, you ready to go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm ready. Whenever you're ready, I'm ready. You know, so I'm on the fence about starting with the first question or giving the Revenue Real Hotline listeners some insight into our relationship, specifically how it started. And so if you don't mind, like, what, what do you what do you remember about a random person sending in an email or excuse me, probably an email or a LinkedIn message with an article? And then we'll go from there. I remember reading the article and then you and I being in touch. I'm not sure how it got initiated after that. I'm not sure I remember whether I did or you did, but uh, I just remember being taken by the article and thinking you need to be on the show. <laughs> okay. So listeners, here's, here's what happened. I received an email sent from Andy Paul, which is my, this is my favorite podcast in our profession by a lot. It's one of the very few that I listen to religiously and here comes an, an email. And I believe, Andy, the first thing I said was like, oh my gosh, please tell me that I need to buy a Blue Yeti microphone because <laughs> I, I'm looking for a reason to get one. And sure enough, you responded with, absolutely, it's a, it's a phenomenal investment. And listeners, it is absolutely a phenomenal investment. My favorite from last year. Um, but we can leave that to the side. And so then coming on the show, Andy, and, and I also remember one, one last thing about this, and then we can mm-hmm. give it, but right before the show, I, I disclosed how nervous I was and right. also that I had never been either on a podcast or interviewed <laughs> right, right. at all. And I remember the look on your face in that moment was like, oh, oh, okay. And it was just kind of like, I don't know what was, what wheels were cranking knowing you, like I know you now, I'm sure there were many, but, uh, it was, it was a baptism by fire in many ways, but looking back, I don't think I would have it any other way. Yeah. Oh, I think maybe I said, just take a deep breath. I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, supposed to be fun first and foremost, right? If I'm doing my job well with my guests, so hopefully put them at ease. That's how we get good conversations. It's so true. It's funny. We, I just did an episode with one of the gentlemen that I learned the most from in sales or like top two, Dave Whiteside. And he talked about how he learned to sell still has this coin, which goes through like the steps of a discovery call, really. Um, And so step one, relax. Step two is listen, right? Which is kind of funny how far away we are from that. And then concede whatever goes on. But I'm chuckling about the relax thing that you guys are both. Step one, relax, deep breath. And that was certainly something that you did. And then some, oh, you know what? One last thing. 
At the end of the episode, I remember asking you, Andy. Yes. What could I have done better? Do you remember what you said? <laughs> no, I don't. You said to tell more of your story. Hmm? And I mean, there were so many things that I took away from that experience. And so now fast forward to like wellness and like take care and all of the, the focusing on conversations and story, like it came from those words. It was like a seed really for me that just sprouted in the most beautiful way this year. Um, and then some, so thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Okay. So here we go. Yes. You've been writing a lot about relationships lately. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I'll even take it a step further, like the duality of terms. Right. Taking people to task. And, you know, I'm just, I'm curious, like why, obviously you use, you actually use the word triggered. Yes. <laughs> in like the starting line, I, in one of them, I think it was about relationships. Yeah. And the, the triggering just audience, it had to do, and I'll link it in the show notes, but it had to do with how binary or black and white, like that term is used and mm -hmm. in most ways interpreted. And so right. Andy, like, obviously this is something that's been on your mind a lot. And I'm curious, like, why is that? Or, or tell us more. Well, because there seems to be some number of people that are, you know, thought leaders, authors, whatever, um, that have audiences that are saying, look, relationships aren't important in sales. And first of all, I think they're completely wrong. And I've said so, but partly it's coming from the perspective on their parts is it's if you, a relationship can only mean a friendship. And yeah, I just, I really rebel against such simplistic use of, of words. And, you know, the relationship is the way two or more things or people are connected. And so if you're having a product, if you're talking to a prospect, you are in a relationship. You're not in a friendship. There's a famous Greek philosopher, I forget which one it was, <laughs> Epictetus or somebody who had said, yeah, these are friendships of utility is what we have with our our prospects, right? It's for a function. So I've really, when people write about these things, it's just steering people wrong. And I think it comes from people who are fundamentally uncomfortable with forming these types of relationships themselves. And, and so it's, I think they're trying to tell a certain segment of the audience what they want to hear, which is, yeah, this is, that's not the easy part of selling in fact, it's hard to connect with another human being in an authentic way and to build trust with them because people naturally sort of are standoffish, especially with salespeople, right? So giving people advice the relationship isn't important is just foolish in my mind. And so I've been writing a lot about it to try to sort of counterbalance that. And so just, just thinking about it, it's a connection you're making with somebody. It's not a friendship. You know, I've sold hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, services and products in my career. And I counted up, I think I've played golf twice with customers and maybe taken dinners maybe 12 times, maybe. Because that was just never part of what I wanted to do. You know, I, I wanted to do my job and go home. Um so, and I didn't feel like the friendship was going to further it. So it just, I never felt like it was part of it. It was just a connection I made with somebody and I was interested in them. They were, became interested in me, we built my credibility, established my trust with them. 
yeah, we don't exchange Christmas cards. You know, it's, it's so crazy here because, you know, and this goes back to what we spoke about a little bit on, on episode 920 on, on your show for mental health awareness month, mm-hmm. this, when, when I had said that at their heart, root cause problems are really born from two places, two things, communication or miscommunication and skill development. What is so, so this is about communication. Mm-hmm. There's like a million places where the, where communication can go poorly and any one of them will do. And the more people that you introduce into the relationship or the team, right? The greater the chances, right? So it's not even an addition scenario. It's, these are multiples when it comes to relationships, right? So I'm, my mind is kind of bending right now, Andy, because you and I have had such different experiences with relationships as it relates to sales. And I'll give you one, just one example, going out to a restaurant, going out to eat and to drink was a part of my interview process at time to demonstrate like etiquette at, at a restaurant. And so it was so closely tied to my job, mm-hmm. which didn't help on, on the drinking front either. Okay. So anyway, it was, it was a massive part about my job, right? Was, right. was using relationship building and entertainment. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then at the same time, not only are we, def- when, when a person hears the word relationship, right? It just, it's defined differently. It means a different thing to every person. And then you think about the complexity of what type of sales organization, like what, what's their business model? What, to, is it a transactional sale? Is it a relationship sale? Like how important is the relationship? Like, are we looking for a one-time purchase or is there like a repeat, you know, let's establish a, a relationship with clients, right? So they can buy more than one thing from us. And so all of these different factors, kind of come into play. And to your point, though, to those that are producing content in particular about these things, to not take this complexity or the context or the relative nature or then, then of course, the actual definitions and to not take that into account and then to spew whatever. It's all part of the problem. I, I guess the question back to you is, how can we help to bridge the gap between some of these more common misinterpretations of words as we kind of move into the the next normal? Yeah, I think some of this starts with you know, people having a, a misperception about how sales has been in the past. And so when I read what some of these people write about how relationships aren't important. They make assumptions about how selling was 20, 30, 40 years ago that just don't align with reality. The fact is most people are not taking their clients to play golf and most people are not <laughs> taking clients out to dinner. Certainly some people were and some people continue to do so. I know sellers today that, that are quite successful that are yeah, just golf is part of what they do, or they're more likely to wine and dine. But it, yeah, it, you know, it's like somebody was watching Mad Men and assumed that everybody that was in sales was selling like that. Uh, and it just wasn't the case. It's, yeah, most people just forming a connection with another person. And, and, 
you know, building that, that credibility and trust. So, so I think that's where some of the misconception with, you know, with the words related to relationship and so on come from is people just not understanding the way things have been and maybe just being too influenced by you know, popular media or something. Yeah. Because I mean, look at the way, look at the way that, that people perceive sellers, you know, there's a stereotype of salespeople that persists. People are frustrated. People in sales are frustrated about it. Uh, yeah, that hasn't really changed over the yeah. years. It still exists and exists for, for, unfortunately, for good reason. But um, well, that's yeah, a, I, yeah. That's, that's an, an interesting point. Well, sorry to interrupt, Andrew, but that's an interesting point about where does the no go ahead, the, go ahead, no where does the disdain for the word selling come from, but you know, let's, let's table that for right now. Okay. So here's the thing about relationships though. And I'm with you about, you know, needing to be more flexible on what the golden days were about and, and how we went about getting there um, as it relates to relationships. And I think that that can be applied much broader, right? Just having a more open mind about, the rightness of our own perceptions coming into a conversation, just, you know, showing up maybe to listen or seek first to understand. Right. There was a story that was told in, in take care and it had to do, it was the first one that, that I listened to, which means that it was the one that mercy suggested to start with. Okay. And she was talking though. I forget the woman's name right now. And I'm kind of pissed that I don't have it, but she was talking about how we approach relationships from a sense of consumerism as well. And that like, and so I guess I'm, I'm taking the conversation that we're having about relationships a little bit broader than just sales and, and looking at the society sure. and, and how we're not as connected as, as we used to be, or we're not living as, as our, our, our body and our minds were, were designed to live, which is more communal. Um, but that said, mm-hmm it's hard to show up in, in a relationship of any kind when we're looking for our needs to be addressed or to be taken care of. And I, you know, we can point at like Tinder, the, the nature of dating these days, but just looking or expecting to be understood, looking for someone to mind read our communication preferences, and then looking to take from relationships or interactions with people. And so I guess I don't, I, maybe it's your turn to be hopeful here, Andy, but I, I see the problems with the way that we're operating <laughs> with relationships to be a little bit broader than just impacting the sales profession. What do you think? Well, yeah. I mean, certainly, certainly the way that, that we engage with people has changed. I mean, just this whole idea about take the word conversation, right? I mean, I can, I mean, my kids are grown now and, and uh, in their 30s. But if, if I were to ask them, have you talked to your sister recently? Yeah, my son, Alec, you know, would say, sure. Well, I didn't actually talk to her, right? He didn't have right. a conversation with her. They messaged. And so we've grown more accustomed to sort of asynchronous forms of communication that, you know, there's give and take, but it's done... You know, it's not spontaneous. It's not in person necessarily. Uh, you're not on the talking on the phone the ways you were ways we were before, and yeah, that is somewhat problematic. 
I mean, because to your point is people are hardwired to, to be connected and to want to be more communal and to engage in ways that, that we're not doing as frequently these days. Um, but it's, it does translate, though, into the sales world in a way that I think is we haven't really taken into account, which is that, or haven't taken into account as broadly, is that, that you know, we bring people into the sales world who, yeah, come from a more... Uh, more environment where they're more digital, they're less less uh, uh, in person in their communications, and then we put them on phones and expect them to magically know how to talk on phones, not talk on phones, and how to connect with another person and yeah. and carry on a certain type of conversation. And unfortunately, too often people sort of you know, point fingers, you know, well, that generation doesn't know. It. It's like it's not their fault. What we need to do is we need to help everyone learn how to do these things. It can be learned, but we just, we can't assume that, you know, hiring somebody new into sales and say, yeah, go make calls that they'll know the basics. So how do we, oh man, I, so I want to, I'm, I'm just going to float this out there just so you know that I'm, I'm sad sure. to pivot away, away from this, but like when I think about icing out my feelings for a decade, that impacted my ability to show up in relationships outside of work, right? It, right. it was just an air of not caring, right? Would I think is a great mm. way to describe it. And then, then I think on some of the deepest relationships that I have and formed and maintained. I mean, Andy, they were with buyers. Like my my best girlfriend texted me last night, and she's an attorney at Latham Watkins. And I just had a baby about a year and a half ago. And so, but anyway, she started off as a prospect and then a buyer and then a client. And, and so it's, but now when I think back on, on my journey and learning to feel again, and I, I'm trying to unravel what is that, that such a strange thing that I was let very much like Mercy in, in, in our episode, we talked about how, how caring deeply for the buyer's really guided our, our careers, um, with, with selling, but anyway, mm-hmm. so that I, I got to leave on the side, right? So if you have any thoughts on that one later, like I would love to hear them, but this idea <laughs> of like training and coaching someone back to like connection, back to relationship, back to human, like how to be a human. I mean, where do we right. even start how to train someone to be a human? Well, I mean, there are people that that are out there that that are talking about this, and it's certainly something that is the subject of of my next book. Is is it's taking the time to do it, right? I mean, we want to rush everything these days, and so we we hire people and bring them onto these onboarding programs, and you got ninety days, and and it's like, well, what's magic about ninety days, right? Are we yeah. are we sort of self-selecting or not self-selecting, but selecting people that, you know, 90 days is all you're giving somebody to, to show whether they can do a job that takes years to learn how to do uh, and turning some, including some of these basics. I mean, I, I'm an introvert generally speaking and yeah, learning how to go out and put myself in front of prospects took more than 90 days. Yeah. Um, and so I would have benefited from instead of being thrown into my first sales training, which was all about sort of 
really salesy tactics and techniques to use if if we just talked about yeah how do you how do you connect what's empathy right how do you how do you develop empathy what is what's the form of empathy we need uh how do you ask how do you initiate small talk right what's what's the right amount of small talk what are good questions you use to, to sort of break the ice i mean there's a laundry list of things and it's not like this knowledge is out there because uh, there are people that specialize in all of these things but it doesn't seem to filter its way into sales because we just assume that people come equipped to do the job <laughs> there's that there's that assumption word again mm-hmm. isn't that crazy well it's so you mentioned about the rush and i'm reminded about the quest to to be and arrive at unicorn and the trickle down effects and how sure. that that impacts everybody and so there's that right that so i think impacts the tech space in particular which is i mm-hmm. think a topic for a different day but you know it's funny though but you mentioned this is the topic for your next book and i know that you have some some strong and powerful thoughts about books and the power of ideas and and socializing ideas and books and i i do want to i do want to talk about that sure. but i guess in a perfect world, like what, what would a 90 day program or not necessarily 90 days, but what are some of the ways that we could put together a a training program or coaching program on, you know, conversations or practicing with conversations, which are obviously a factor throughout the entirety of a sales motion, right? Not just the the beginning or, or for onboarding purposes. Like what would that even look like? And I'll, and one more caveat there, Andy, you said develop or IQ or EQ, which I couldn't agree more of. But when I hear and read about EQ, it is almost 100% about interpersonal EQ aspects of EQ Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there's never anything about empathy towards yourself and, or, you know, having an uncomfortable conversation like with yourself. And so that that seems to be like a, an impediment, at least that I've seen on why maybe some of the empathy based um, initiatives m- maybe aren't as, uh, I don't know, effective. Like what? If, so there are a lot of questions in there. Well, so okay. dealer's choice. Sure. Well, I mean, I think part of it is that that perhaps we focus salespeople on the wrong form of empathy. So people generally divided into emotional, compassionate, and cognitive empathy, um, where emotional is, you know, you feel this visceral feeling. I can actually feel what you feel. Um, and then compassion is more as, oh, I, I know how you feel about that. And you, you have this you know, sort of desire to help. But for me, the most effective form is, is cognitive empathy, which is that I understand why you feel the way you do. Because this is our job as sellers. It's not, it's not just to know how somebody feels, which is the compassionate empathy. It's to understand why they feel the way they do. How can I help solve the problem, help somebody achieve their desired outcomes if I don't understand? And so this is, you know, <laughs> Again, this we talk about empathy. It's it's broad word, but we have to be very specific about what we mean by it. And there's a great book called Against Empathy by Paul Bloom that 
that talks about this sort of dilemma is that if we really focus on sort of the compassion, emotional forms of empathy is it leads us to uh, bad decision-making because again, we don't really understand. We can't stay objective. It's hard to be the more emotional that we get without giving ourselves the space or the distance to like look for those value judgments, um, the less objective we are. I don't know, but so it's, it's crazy, Andy. Like when I think of my story and my journey with ADHD, right? Which is not something that we spoke a lot about. I don't think ever really. So I have ADHD, a mood disorder. Mm -hmm. I was hard on medication during episode 920, but like I'm medicated for ADHD, a mood disorder, contrary to popular belief. (laughs) There's a hypersensitivity aspect to me who I am. And it's, it's something that I've been able to learn to use very well. And so I guess I, what I'm trying to say is during buying experiences, right. Where I'm the seller, other people are buying, I've Mm -hmm. tapped into those extra senses, which when learned, right. How to rein them in starting with yourself really can Mm -hmm. be a superpower. However, that said, I can't imagine trying to teach someone how to do that without them knowing how to do that for themselves, right? Apply cognitive empathy to their own decision-making, you know? And I think the opposite of this is, or is bias. Yeah. Sure. We well, no, I absolutely. I mean, that's just, I mean, this is a much bigger topic, but I mean, yeah, I, I believe that just to show how far I think sales has fallen uh, in terms of the priority that people give it is we all want to acknowledge it's a performance-based profession, but then when do we ever enable sales organizations with resources to do just what you said is help people understand themselves, right? Right. I I always use this as an example of uh, the show Billions that was on Showtime about hedge fund, but I don't know if you saw that at all, but you know, their key employee was... A, a psychiatrist on staff, yeah, a therapist, yeah, for these high-performing individuals that could stop in during the day and and spend fifteen minutes to talk something through. <laughs> you know, if you had more than a couple hundred salespeople on it, or you have a hundred salespeople, maybe fifty salespeople. I don't know what the exact number is on a sales team. Why Ooh, wouldn't you spend? Yeah. Why would you spend one headcount slot to hire somebody that's a performance-based psychologist? I think I said this on the other episode, like uh, how hard did Bill Belichick have to be convinced to bring in a sports psychologist? I I don't know, Andy, like riddle me that Batman, but again, it's. Well, not at all, but that's the problem we have in business is that no one, no one really cares that much about sales at the end of the day. If we did, we'd start taking it more seriously in terms of how do we actually improve performance? What are the things that actually improve an individual's performance. You know, there are very performance-driven professions like athletics, uh, you know, professional sports, where they have teams of people that, that analyze, uh, you know, metrics and KPIs of various sorts, both physiological and, and emotional and so on, to determine if someone's at the right point to perform. And with the world's past sales by in that regard. I mean, some people are starting to think about it, but it's, you know, our activity metrics are not the equivalent 
it's it's yeah it's that much deeper and so there are some people talking now about uh yeah brian smith on the show a founder of leon that's you know this creating this wellness intelligence uh app that that teams are using to be able to say okay are we at the right point you know we've looked at our rest metrics our recovery metrics our you know could be sleep yeah, are we at the right point to take this big meeting? Is or maybe this something we should push off a day or, or. But it's a yeah, it's important, right? It's so it's so crazy that you're talking about this. All right, so we're we're gonna get real here again with another first time for Revenue Real. I struggle still with sleep, right? And so, uh, Andy, I'm thinking about the toolbox analogy of, of mental health tactics that you guys talked mm-hmm. about on the Kelsey episode. So this is, it's, it is like my Achilles heel still. And, yes. and, and I'm still actively working on it, right? This is, I'm not going to roll over mm-hmm. and be like play dead. However, there's, I've thought, I thought of it for two reasons. The first is that when I don't sleep right around like, so obviously the symptoms manifest differently for, for everyone. Right. So I I can only speak for my experience, but right around three o'clock around 70% of 75% of the time is when the paranoid thoughts start coming (laughs) and they're, they're so strange. I mean, but, but I remember this was even before like dropping the, the lithium esque pills for a while there, but I realized that I around three o'clock right? I could no longer take meetings the following day. And so when I would come into the office or when I would, you know, open the computer, I would look and, and if needed, right, reschedule Mm -hmm. those meetings because I knew that I just wasn't whatever. Now, fast forward to like two weeks ago, I was, um, I had a couple of podcasts or one podcast conversation to record with uh, Nick Capozzi and Nick is a, is a friend of mine and I, I didn't sleep the night before and it, yeah. it's annoying because it kind of spirals, but I made the decision. I was like, Oh, you know, he's a friend. I'm going to do this conversation anyway. And then, you know, talk about like getting an up close and personal, like deep dive into your own damn self, like going back and listening to that recording. I couldn't even finish it. Like I had to stop and I, I like apologized to Nick and asked him, we're going to do it again and do like a mashup because it was like part good or what. But it, the, <laughs> our mental health impacts performance so so deeply and in so many ways. And now like I look back on my career and like, if I knew this, what I, what I knew now, right. How many missed deals, how many, you know, but anyway, so I guess this is, it's good that we're having the conversation. Yes. However, 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 to bring it back to ideas and books and filter bubbles, how can we, I, I mean, I can't make anybody, Andy, like watch a TED talk from by, uh, you know, what it, what's his face, Sean Archer on happiness. I can't make anybody mm-hmm. read any books on um, where the true of the connections between autonomy and art and creativity on performance, you know. And so from right. a at the macro level, I think you hit it on the head. When you said to me in an offline conversation, when we were first talking about books and the importance of injecting 
deeper thoughts and best practices into sales books and the current state of sales books. And I, I almost, I want to talk about that for a little bit and I ask you to repeat that. So that's where we're going, but I'm chuckling remembering yesterday on the beach, I turned around and there were these two sellers that were sitting like right behind me. They were a little bit older or younger, excuse me. One was at Indeed other uh, startup thinking about moving to the jets, but he's reading, we started the conversation because he's holding spin selling, which I could like, I could spot that cover yeah. from like across the beach. And I, I, so then when we were chatting, I was like, let me see that book and just kind of flipping through it and reading the, so spin selling, right. Has had its day and, and lots of there's, there's meat yeah. in all books. However, there's not a lot of books out there in particular that are where you are in many ways. So one, I'm excited about your book and I want to talk about that, but how do you see books? Like what's the connection between books and long form <laughs> reading to, you know, the, the path to the, the next normal? Well, I, to me, it's, it's, you just contrast books with, you know, a short LinkedIn post, which I, I write my share of LinkedIn posts. Um, and I, apologize <laughs> perhaps for some of those, but, but yeah, they're just snippets. They don't fully develop ideas that force you to really think. And yeah, that's, I've, there's been some research I've seen on this, that, you know, reading a book is still the best way to sort of absorb a new concept, a new idea. Cause it's someone's making a complete argument for it. And you have to walk through the argument, understand you know, something in more depth than you do if you're just reading a LinkedIn post or listening to a podcast. And so, yeah, without the risk of sounding old fashioned, books, books are really essential. And getting people to write books is essential, as, you know, as you and I have talked about. And part of what I'm doing is, is hosting a mastermind group for aspiring sales authors, because you know, I think we need to have more new ideas and more new voices in this profession that are going to guide us into the future. And um, so part of it is getting people to read it, part of it is getting people to write them. And, and yeah, changing their perspective from, yeah, I can do my quick hit LinkedIn post, jab, 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 but fine. But, you know, take that argument you're making on a LinkedIn post and expand it to 100 pages and, and have it really make sense. And that's what we need is fully formed, fully baked ideas that people are putting out into the marketplace that will influence how we do sales in the future. It's scary as hell as someone that's been on the receiving end of this mentorship. But at the same time, you're, I know how right you are. And, and I remember, and I'm excited to be a part of it. And I'm excited for your new book. And I'm also scared as hell, but at the same time, I then think of the learning pyramid with the base of the learning pyramid. Well, you know, so everyone has different learning styles, audience, right. And just yep. in the same way that we have different love languages, long form, short form, audio words, um, visual, obviously we're a very visual society these days. And so just being aware of what our own individual learning style style is, that's a good place to start. The second thing to take in take into account when I think about mediums and learning is 
the mm. the like Andy, like some of the modern learning theories, like micro learning opportunities, right? If I get a flat tire on the side of the road, I'm going to do what everybody else on the planet that doesn't know how to change a tire is I'm going to pull up a YouTube video on the spot, five minutes, watch it, bring it outside, maybe watch it again while changing the tire, change the damn tire. Now I've retained those skills. Right. And so because I've gone through it so quickly. And so that's mm -hmm. a, a short, a short um, content item in a moment of need. Right. So that's definitely a factor. However, what you're describing to really sit and be present with these thoughts and ideas that that come through reading a book and a fully formed idea or theory or whatever, it's a different, different thing. And so I, I guess what I'm trying to say, listeners, is don't confuse um, our, our drawnness to visual or our drawnness to immediacy, um, and those micro learning from like the way that our, our brains have been learning since the beginning of time. Well, and that's what the, but I think to draw just a distinction is, is yeah, learning how to, to uh, change the tire. I mean, I, I've different approach to that. I would call AAA, but, um, is <laughs> that means sorry to interrupt that means acknowledging that i'm i'm not in a city and like you know ownership is is the right. thing but anyway you're right so call triple right that's, no but that's I, but thing. to your point is 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 i think there's the danger that we assume that what selling really is 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 a collection of these discrete skills that can be learned like changing a tire whatever the sales equivalent we'd make of of that and that that's sufficient but the fact is, sales is done successfully is much, much more, right? It's, it's, it's a creative pursuit that requires real-time uh, synthesis of information that you're receiving and be able to you know, spit back something that, that uh, makes sense to a buyer that they can perceive that, yeah, this is, huh, that's an idea. This, this could help me, right? This is an interesting insight. Uh, you know, it's not, it can't all be staged, Right, it, it's so much of it takes place in the moment in this interaction between two human beings, and yeah, there's a lot that surrounds it. You can learn about skills and the craft of the, and you want to continue to practice, you know, religiously on it. But it also is what happens in this moment, this the between you know two individuals that come from completely different backgrounds, can't be predicted. Right, it's it's that's where sort of the art of it comes from. And so, you know, to say that, gosh, yes, we do want to have in the moment training. We do want these micro learnings. We do, but we need to understand the larger context of how we're applying it in a conversation, in a connection, in a relationship with another human being to be able to help them solve a problem or achieve the thing that's most important to them. Gosh, there's so many places that I could take that. All right. So Andy, you raise a great point. What is the hardest? So let's say after selling for seven years, right? So just mental mark where, where you were in your career, what mm -hmm. was the skill that you were focused or the skills that you were focused on learning once you had a baseline for the fundamentals and like what was working for you, like whatever your top three, you know, prospecting techniques right. were like, what, what were those skills for you and how did you go about learning them? Well, at that point in my career, I was transitioning into a new role dealing with major accounts, which I had not done before. I'd worked with small and mid-sized businesses, but hadn't really worked with, with large accounts. So that was the big transition for me. 
and it was a mix of <laughs> being thrown into the into the pool, uh, the deep end of the pool, as well as fortunate to have a, a mentor at that time, a manager, who yeah was a lifelong friend, but was extremely hard to 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 work for in the sense that he was just so challenging right and this is this is i think where for me it was really the beginning of just really understanding how how important the intellectual side of sales really was because this person was one of the just flat out smartest people i knew intuitive uh you know said great instincts but just was challenged me on everything and forced me to 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 learn and to try to do everything just a bit better and it really for me it was it was transformational you know that that particular job i had at that time which i was with that company for probably four and a half five years four and a half i guess years i guess and um you know was able to take on increasing levels of responsibility but it was it was that individual, the first two years I was there working for him that, yeah, just made me see things in a, a much, much more, I don't know, accurate or realistic way in terms of what the demands of being successful really meant. It's such, it, there's, I feel like there's something about that, that seven-year mark or even the pivot into major accounts or global accounts as it's called, you know, or any version of enterprise well it, it led me to that i mean within man, about two and a half years of, of starting that i was running global sales for a company that that purchased us um but yeah I mean, one thing sort of led to another and without sort of starting and having somebody really i don't even say it was it was part was discipline i mean i so this one day this this guy I was working for uh, called me on a Sunday after I'd been there for like six months and I had had a number of big accounts and these were big companies, big financial services, information companies and so on. And he wanted to go through like my pipeline, like a Sunday afternoon. And what became abundantly clear is that he knew my accounts better than I did. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay. That's never going to happen again, yeah. right? Never yeah. going to be in that position where, where yeah, I'm playing catch up to in the person I'm working line. for. Yeah, and so I never did. But it was such a great lesson because he just and it wasn't like he had picked up the phone and called them. It was just through experience, and you know he knew exactly what questions to ask me to see whether I understood, and I didn't. <laughs> Um, you're, you've, you've brought us full circle to the Dave episode again. Um, the one that I spoke of at the beginning that, cause I, okay. So Andy, like, mm -hmm. am I, if I'm understanding this properly, it was that you leveled up your understanding of how this profession is about like continuous improvement or like, was it a deeper understanding of what preparation and what both. skill both. and mastery both. are involved? Yeah, both. I mean, it was, it was certainly continuous learning, which I'd been doing before. And yeah, I've been reading Spin Selling and those books when they first came out. 
Um, but it, it was also the next thing was really about understanding, right? Do you, did I really, it wasn't enough to know something, right? It wasn't enough to know what the customer wanted to achieve or what the problem was they're trying to solve. Did I understand it? And there's this huge gap that, that most sellers really don't understand is there. And it's one that's holding them back is between knowing something and really understanding it. And, and until you learn how to cross that, that chasm on a consistent basis, you'll never succeed at the level you want. Okay, Jeffrey because, Moore. Yeah, well, I didn't mean to use Jeffrey I know, Moore, I know, I know, but it was just, but, I was just impressed that I knew the author of a book that you said, <laughs> you used the phrase too. Please continue, sir. <laughs> but it's, but that's, that's it, right? That you have to span this gap as a seller, because otherwise you're never able to get to the level with the buyer of helping them really understand how you could help them and how they can achieve the most things, the most important thing to them, if you don't understand. You know, and it's so it's, it's, so it's, it's, yeah, we sort of stop short. I say we, many, many sellers sort of stop short. And if you learn how to go beyond that, like I said, to this real true understanding, that opens the possibilities. You know, it's funny you reminded me. So for anybody that's thinking about how to do a program or how to create that, I'm just going to share a quick story. I am at Remesh um, where I was the head of sales enablement. I put together, we, it was a new product launch, right? And we were also mm-hmm. in the process of switch, like shifting the team to enterprise selling and which was the reason I was brought in. And so part of the product launch program, right? So think all new tech, right? What's the Mm -hmm. tech about, how to sell it, and then the buyer experience. I created a, it's like think market research and, you know, testing on a particular product when let's say you're Anheuser-Busch and you want to, you're thinking about, I don't know, craft brewery, whatever. Anyway, our team, when I, one of the things that I noticed while observing early on was that our, it, the way that we were approaching conversations and the buyers was in the context of our perspective of their business problem. And so what I had everybody on the team do was to pretend like they were uh, like approach a research project or an assignment as though they were the buyers and have to do the work leading up to using our product, using our product, mixing the data with other research efforts going on for the larger project, and then deliver the findings in the form of a report back. And that was one of the best ways that I've ever found to help bridge that gap at at scale, right? With a program Mm -hmm. to give people a bigger experience. Okay. But Andy, I'm, I'm looking at the clock here. Like I love, I love that about bridging the gap, but I'm curious, like I'm, I'm a little bit disheartened because I know how much room for improvement most, um, uh, most human beings have in their weekly pipeline meeting with their managers. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I want to ask the final question, which is what's your one piece of advice about uncomfortable conversations. But like you tell me, do you, do, do you have a hard stop here? Or do you want to take a stab no, at both I, of those? Uh, we can, we can, we can keep going. Okay. So yeah. What would you say to the fact that you, I, I mean, I, I was trying to hold back my, I've never had a manager like that. Um, 
I've had uh, like peer mentors. And then I've had like one of the most psychologically safe places that I had as, while selling was at Thomson Reuters because I was brought in by the director of our business unit who then became a, a VP because we had done really well in our first year together. Um, but I've never had that with a manager. It's But it's one of the first things I'll also come in and look at uh, as a sales enabler, like, and create some kind of like template pipeline report for the managers, right? Just to have a, a steady baseline with which to approach the conversation should they want to, right? With all mm -hmm. members of the team, right? So reducing variation on, on that side of things. But it's, it's, it's pretty common for me to look at that place and look at the one-on-one -on -one and figure out ways to level up that spot. And now I think of bridging the gap for our listeners on, on doing or creating an experience for themselves like you had, but without maybe necessarily the benefit of a challenging, yeah. sharp, iron sharpens iron type of scenario. What say you, sir? Well, it's uncomfortable conversation you have to have with yourself, right? And if there's no one to push you, then yeah, you have to push yourself. And so as a sales manager, looking at a pipeline and, and doing a one-on-one -on -one with somebody, you have two simple questions sort of for them, which is, you know, what does the buyer need from us in terms of, and we'll use the phrase value, you know, what value do they need from us in this next, in next interaction in order to move closer to making a decision. And as a result of providing this value, what steps are they committing to take? And when you ask sellers this, they, <laughs> in my mind, they need to have the answers to those questions and they should have them in mind all the time. I mean, if you're asking a seller, and this gets back to understanding because then they don't understand the, the prospect if they can't answer those questions. So it's two very simple questions. You know, what value do they need from us or do they expect from us next in order to move closer to making a decision? And what steps will they commit to taking as a result of receiving the value? So I love that. And I love the simplicity of those two questions. But then I think about the evolving nature of the buy, where there's more buyers involved, right? Oh, sure. You've got somebody from finance, you've got somebody from legal. Then I think of the knowledge gap around the universal buyer's journey, right? Or even just the psychology of a buy, including buyer's remorse, or how the nature of energy is always going to be the highest, you know, in the middle of a, a certain types of calls and to use those moments. Right. Like, and I'll even take it a step further. When you had said, talking about managers and one-on-ones pushing, if you don't have someone pushing you versus pushing yourself, I would venture to say, if we ask like 10 sellers, like, Hey, do you think your manager is pushing you? Like the answer is yes. The challenge is that they're pushing either towards the wrong things and we instinctively know it and are not, or we worst haven't had that experience yet so we don't even know that the way that we're being pushed is right. not in the right way but again well, so i'm more you, interested in, yeah in the earlier part of that which is how do we um <laughs> how like i i'm sorry please continue i don't even well, know i was just gonna say is, is but think about the questions yes people are being pushed the manager's saying okay so what are you gonna do here Right. So what's next for this deal? What do you, this opportunity, what are you, what are you going to do next? What's your next step? And that's not a very helpful question. 
No, not at all. <laughs> As opposed to saying, what's the buyer need from us or expect from us at this point? And to your point about multiple stakeholders, sure. But yeah, not every meeting is with every stakeholder. Uh, yeah, the fact is some stakeholders are more important than other stakeholders, as is the case in any group of human beings. It's, yeah. Is, are you able to help them make progress? Yeah. And that's, that's really the defining feature. If, if what's the point of having a sales call or a sales interaction of any sort with the buyer, if as a result of it, they're not making progress. Well, that's really I, the bottom line is, is you're going to waste their time. You're going to waste your own time. And so this is, this is where you get to understanding. Maybe intuitively someone thinks, well, I, I think this is what we should do. It's like, yeah, don't, don't assume, assume. <laughs> don't is assume. what, what do we need to do? What is going to have the desired impact? You know, what are they expecting from us? What have the impact we want in terms of helping them make this, this, you know, necessary progress. I, and unfortunately, I, unfortunately, too many sellers don't have that level of understanding because they think, well, I can take my call notes and I can drop them into Salesforce. I can come back and refer to them when you you ask me a question about, you know, in our one-on-one, it's like, yeah, that's not cutting it. You really need to understand why something, what somebody needs, why something's going to happen as a result of receiving it. And that just requires asking more questions until you make sure you really understand. Yes, absolutely. And before asking questions, right, silence what you want to hear which is, I think, impedes the listening, like being able to retain what you're getting. So listeners, I think that's a big part of it, right? Letting go of what you want to hear, Um, but also learn more about the landscape ahead of a buying team so that you have a better understanding of what they're going to experience when they bring in, like bring back whatever you've tried to communicate to them or Mm -hmm. that, when like I found that when when it when I'm able to inject a broader understanding of like the nature of a, a enterprise purchase into the sales team, it's it's been an enlightening aspect for sellers that are then able to have stronger what do you need conversations or in like past deals like this is what happened when we tried to do this and so here's how we can do you think this is going to be an issue here and then here's how we can kind of get in front of it just in case Mm -hmm. giving having more of a banter I guess you could say and and show up with those risk identifying value statements I guess or additional questions that could kind of suss out those, those aspects of what the buyer needs, especially when we're talking about a major accounts type sale. But it's hard to do when you don't have the knowledge that in my opinion should be given to you by your sales organization about like the nature of a buyer, the universal buyer's journey or and, and Andy, just final piece on this, like when you were talking about sales process and how, you know, you've had CROs in the past that have said, oh, the process is for the sellers, but it's pulling people towards persuasion that nobody wants to be persuaded versus a true process, which flows at the pull of the client. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whether we're working a backwards process or a process based on backwards principles, which isn't going to work or we don't have the, the knowledge on the team about here's how I can support a, a, a buying team, 
by way of what do you need next? Like mm-hmm. that knowledge to even have powerful conversations. Like it just seems like we've got a lot of work to do. Well, we do for sure. Absolutely. We do. That's yeah, keeps, <laughs> keeps sales authors employed. But, um, but I think that <laughs> I, I don't think we should have everybody think that there's this sort of prerequisite in terms of a level of knowledge you need to have to go have good conversations and ask good questions because yeah i learned through doing by doing yes well i mean i i i i was in the moment and i i learned through this one manager i talked to and others is is the importance of of asking the extra question to make sure you understand right is yeah. is to get it to that level and i'll tell new sellers or relatively young sellers that are new that are sort of say yeah, i'm not sure i don't know what i don't know type of thing it's like they'll just keep asking questions till you feel confident that you understand that- right it's not and it's not all just about you know asking mirroring questions you know or summarizing and, and having the customer reflect back to you you know that you're correct it's it's just letting your curiosity go. And as you said, sir, not going in with a, a, an assumption or a bias about what it is you want and you think you're going to hear, but just, letting yeah, it go. I'm not sure I understand. Can I ask, do you mind if I ask one more question? I've never had a buyer tell me no. Right. I came from, you know, liberal arts background and selling really complex technical products. And there was a lot I didn't know, even though I was, I said fairly well versed in it as for a layperson, but not an engineer. But it was like I would just risk being perceived as being ignorant to ask questions, and people did. I, you know, I'm tempted. The three points that you put in the, I think it was the dual meaning of terms, or maybe it was a relationship post about being knowledgeable on a source of not being boring. I think it was this post. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not going to banter about that because that point, like if we were debating right now in like an official debate, you won that point so hard <laughs> and so strong. Like we learn by doing, which is so true. It's so true. It reminds me, do you remember that poll that you did at the start of last year when you, it was like the five ways that people learn? or to sell. And it was peer to peer training, right? What was it? The 20 billion or two? Yeah. I mean, sales training, coaching, customers, customers, managers, managers, self-taught. So the, what you just said though, like when you, when I first saw that poll, it hit me that I learned most from peers and from, from clients and mm-hmm. you you're spot on too like so as if you need there was another reason why you won that point so soundly like there there's the last one where this is shit there's so much to learn from the buyers so much and the conversations oh, oh. if you ask the questions they'll teach you how to sell to them okay that's, that is that's true that's just the bottom line i mean it, it get yourself into a new environment keep asking questions yeah they'll let you know whether you're on the right track or not um, oh, and shouldn't be afraid to be a little vulnerable that you're going to ask a question that might be perceived as being, you know, a dumb question. It's part of the territory. It is part of the territory. And really, frankly, there's no such thing as vulnerability if you're not willing to be wrong. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. That is amazing. All right. So Andy, do you like, I want to, the new book you're just starting. Mm. I, I, it's done or it's with the editor's final. Like, is it 
Where no, are we I've at? Got, as, as we speak, I've got two more weeks to do my final final revisions and it's out of my hands. Oh my gosh. So exciting. Okay. So we'll, we'll wait to talk about that one. All right, Andy Paul, <laughs> one piece of it, but it, listeners like it's, let me tell you, I can't speak anything about it, but I'm ah, two, two, 22. That's all I'm going to say about that one. Sorry. Anyway. So Andy, yes. Final piece of advice for our listeners about uncomfortable conversations. What say you, sir? You're going to have them, that's for sure. Um, yeah, let's say if the, the absence of uncomfortable conversations means you're not selling anything. Um, more than anything else, right? Yeah. I mean, I think about, and I think I've told the story on the, my podcast is, you know, uncomfortable conversations. You know, one I sort of trot out oftentimes was, was uh, you know, midst of negotiating this, yeah, large, yeah, multi-million dollar deal um, with a major media company in the United States. And it was for uh, a custom hardware product, satellite communications product we're developing for this company. And we're negotiating with the senior VP of that enterprise, publicly traded Fortune 500 enterprise. And I get a call from the home office. I'm in DC, the home office in San Diego. And they said, um, have you talked about pricing yet? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We gave him a proposal and yeah, we've talked about pricing. He said, oh, we just looked at the spreadsheet and uh, some man in engineering made a, had a, <laughs> made a mistake. And yeah, our price on a recurring basis needs to be uh, twice, Fine. yeah, Ooh. twice Ooh. <laughs> what you proposed to them. So here we were at the end of a 12-month sales cycle, me, one of my colleagues, talking to the senior VP of of this major media company and his team, and I had to go back in and tell them that we had, and then (laughs) our CEO of our company, I I said, I need to talk to him, and he said, yeah, we just can't, we're not going to do the deal if we can't close that gap. So I had to go back in and tell this guy. Yeah, very senior executive at a Fortune 500 company that, uh, yeah, we'd made a mistake and we had to double our price at the last minute. We had fun walking out the building with security. Um, and, Ouch. But came back the next day and we got the deal. Well, so that's pretty impressive in and it's, of itself. Well, but it speaks to the power of... of of lots of things, right? One was that we had a great connection with this individual. We, we, as we explained it, he began to understand, hated it. Um, but also we had gone through the business case in pretty substantial detail and it still made a ton of sense for them. Uh, so it, it um, yeah, it wasn't like a genius of negotiation other than <laughs> going back in and falling on my sword. And being humble and admitting the mistake again and again and again and apologizing, and then saying, let's get down to business, see if we can make this work. But that was the very definition of an uncomfortable conversation. Well, I think you just made a phenomenal point and brought us right back to the beginning. And that is that it smells like you had a pretty solid relationship there, sir, whether or not there was golf or dinners or none of those involved. involved. None and- of those involved. With the relationship, the uncomfortable conversation, 
like you were able to move past it together. Yeah. That's incredible. And yeah, it, it was, uh, it seemed like a, we didn't celebrate the win as much as we did other ones because of the way it happened. But uh, yeah, I felt like at the end of the day that when we took the look back at the sum total of, of the job that we collectively had done uh, in terms of, yeah, building our credibility and trust with, with the, the buyer uh, that we had, we had done a good job and it. It's the reason you do those things. <sighs> I love speaking with you. It's likewise. It's always a pleasure. All right, Andy Paul, thank you for putting up with the tech issues today. Thank you for your wisdom and sharing. Thank you for the uh, what was so the book um, club, and I'm so I'm so excited, but still like also extremely nervous. But again, very excited, and so thank you for that. Oh, yeah. Thank you for the podcast and for all the help on the podcast, um, and for yours that I learn from on a regular basis. And so, listeners, I, again, I would be shocked if if you're not already following and engaged in, in my opinion, the best podcast in our industry. Definitely check out Andy over at the Andy Paul Show. Um, <laughs> Sales enablement with Andy sales, Paul. Sales enablement with Andy Paul. Thank you, Andy. Um, Andy, where, I mean, do you receive people on LinkedIn or what's yes. the best way that people can get in touch? Yeah, with LinkedIn. Absolutely. That's the best way. All right. Wonderful. Yeah. All right, sir. Thank you to our listeners. Truth, love, and joy, friends. Thank you so much for, for joining us for the conversation today and happy selling. Man, that was heavy, but necessary, you know, important, important stuff being thrown around. Virtues that we as humans can build a sturdy foundation on. I heard words like trust. I heard words like action. I heard words like consistency. And uh, I think this is important, but I, I also live in the real world, right? Where I trust that the action Amy didn't take was to consistently feed the dog or file her legal disclaimer paperwork from all the unnecessary risks she takes on a weekly basis. Karen is gonna be pissed. Karen! All right, friends. The only way this works as a hotline is if we find some people to come play. Anybody who's interested or brave enough or desperate enough, because let's be serious, that's where it's at. Everything you need to know is in the show notes. Yeah, call, absolutely. Call in. Don't have enough to do? You want a couple of books to read? Maybe we can boss you around for a couple hours? Yeah, please. By all means, call. If you like what you're hearing or are excited for this shit show and where it's going to go, definitely follow us on whatever podcast device is your preference, even though I, I seriously have a hard time identifying with anything non-Spotify, but you know, I guess I'll come to terms with that. If you find any value in things that we're talking about, do tell a friend. I consider that the highest honor. Of course, there's always the public review of any kind, although part of me thinks that I should not ask that until we're out of beta. Just a note for sponsors from Karen and Pete down in Legal, we are anxious to receive your call. And if you are looking to help or join the cause or create change in a positive way, please reach out to anyone but me because I have enough to do. And 
Amy will definitely be interested in taking your money to help more people, which is what we do here. You know, stuff. Legal stuff. You know, it's pretty crazy. I still can't believe people listen to shit I say. Yeah, like there, there's certainly a kernel of truth somewhere in there, but you know, it's, it's just, it's wrapped up in a story. Order the dog food, Amy. Order it. Chewy.com. Possible sponsor. Lola, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby. I love you. Here, take some pets. Come, come sit up on my lap. I don't know about you listeners, but I enjoy my podcast on Stitcher. I mean, I don't have a premium account because I'm holding out for sponsorship. Hey, Stitcher, looking at you. Also, I believe we mentioned Chewy, so there will be a link to the, them in the show notes, even though we are not sponsored by them, and I bought my dog food at Target this week because it was on sale and I saved on shipping. All right, friends. Thank you for listening to the conversation. For more ridiculousness, check out the extended cut of the outro. And that's a wrap. I can't. I can't. I can't. So this is Pete, your disclaimer specialist, coming to you at the super secret disclaimer portion of the show because this is a pod about transparency and difficult conversations and with everyone being so open and honest um i must be so here goes um as the outroer to the outroe i'm sorry i apologize you know i i misled you intentionally as your attorney i must confess that i am not a fucking attorney um i have not passed the bar exam in the state in which i live i uh, have never represented anyone well in anything, let alone in a court of law. Um, but again, these are difficult conversations that we're, Amy's having with, with her guests, and, and I lied. And I should tell you that. I should be open and honest because, you know, we have been. So we can all be better. We can all do better together. And now I'm just rambling at this point. It's just, who cares? It's an outro, right? Like, this is just going to fade into blackness like the Mars rover, maybe a little bit less sad. That was fucking sad. Oh, let's not be that sad. Come on, guys. We can do better.